welcome to the podcast. Every week I'll share leadership thoughts, books I'm reading, or tools I'm using to teach leadership skills. I believe everyone has influence. Every family, school, church, city, country is determined by its capacity for effective leadership. So let's jump in. Welcome to the Leadership Podcast. I am Charlie McMahon, and we are in a series of talks called Apart. This is an acrostic that my dear friend and mentor, Dr. Gary Sweeten, came up with, and I'm using it. In this segment of our Leadership Podcast, we're dealing with self-leadership, mainly due to the fact that right now we are all in a season of life that makes it imperative we take care of ourselves. We cannot lead others well if we are not leading ourselves well. And we're looking at Gary's apart acrostic, which is adversity can lead to pessimism, P, pessimism, A, anxiety and anger, R, rumination, which as opposed to meditation, very critical, and T, trauma, we self trauma. We traumatize ourselves. And last week we did an overview of that or last session. And today we're going to break down the adversity part. And this is for any of us who find ourselves, especially in this season, being fearful and anxious. Uh, if you find it difficult to be bold, to be confident, to live with a spirit of love and power and self-control, one of the truths I want to emerge in this one is to remind you, you're not alone. These emotions of timidity, fear, and anxiety tend to make a sense of self-isolation. We feel like we're the only one going through it. But uh, depression and anxiety are on the rise among those of us who live in affluent nations around the Western world. Dr. Martin Seligman said that the rates of mood disorders have increased dramatically since the early 1900s. Estimates from the World Health Organization suggest that they are the most costly of all human problems, too. Now, how can that be? How can it be that we who live so much better lives than our great-grandparents are more worried, more anxious, more depressed than they were? Why is that? All you need to do is spend five minutes in one of our middle schools in our area to know that this is true. And, and yet, we have so much. They had so little in terms of what really matters, and that is medical innovations, and then secondarily, creature comforts and technology. So the answer, logically, must lie in our minds, our souls, not in our surroundings, not in our events, not in society. And Dr. Seligman suggested that we are not as resilient today as they were 100 years ago. We are just not. Stress arises primarily from inside us, not just from our surroundings. And every culture, every society, nation suffers from adverse events. These are always uh, serious, and sometimes they are calamities, wars, diseases, pandemics, accidents, and uh, natural disasters that happen. 
and then lesser significant events that take place in our lives. But we in the West live in an era when these events are more buffered than any people in history. I recommend the book Factfulness to help you understand that actually we are living in the safest time in human history, but it doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel that way, does it? King Solomon in all his glory with all his palaces, wives, jewels, fancy robes was a pauper compared to me. Compared to those of you who are probably listening to this podcast, even the poor among us live in prosperity compared to the ancient kings. That does not minimize the struggle of poverty. It's just reality. So why are so many of us sad and anxious and filled with guilt and shame and low self-esteem? Well, the dear fault, dear Brutus, lies not in the stars, but too often in the way we think in the way we think about adversity, the A that we're looking at today. Now, I want to clarify something that Dr. Gary is really strong about, and that is every person that struggles with sadness, grief, and worry is not suffering from a mental illness and possibly needs medication. That number is actually very small compared to the total number of Americans that have worries and lack the energy that they feel like they need for life. Secondly, we also need to remember that our unique thinking processes and perceptions are usually the root of our pain to ourselves and other people. We have so many miscommunications and misunderstanding because our views can vary in accuracy from 0% to 100%. Let me explain it this way. If I say to you, I think God loves you. I think God loves everyone, but you don't perceive God as loving you. It feels like God is the junior high principal who's out to punish you right now. It will bring about a stressful reaction. If a boss tries to correct your errors, but I think you think she hates your choice of political party your automatic mental, emotional reaction will be defensive and angry. If, if we perceive that others dislike us, we might live in a state of distress, regardless of their actual behavior. If our perception rules how we see them, it dictates how we think they see us. Our view of the world promotes either peace or pessimism. We'll get into pessimism more next week. But we can't talk about that without talking about the reality that if we dwell on a perceived attack by replaying it in our self-talk, we will be left in a state of perpetual attack. We end up traumatizing ourselves. Now, I believe that God has given us an ability to remember events with clarity, with video clarity, audio clarity, and that can put us into a state of continual upheaval and defensiveness. And so when we talk about adversity, we're talking about, and I love how Dr. Gary delineates this, we're talking about shock, we're talking about trauma, and we're talking about abuse. Now in our culture today, everything's abuse. Everything isn't abuse. Some things are shocking. Some things are traumatic, and some things are abusive. All of them can leave a trail of physical blockage and broken soul pieces that can affect 
you the rest of your life. They can all bring about thoughts, emotions, behaviors, and sicknesses that include anxiety and depression. We can now act in ways, though, that facilitate growth, the growth mindset and healing from past wounds and overcome what Zig Ziglar used to say is our stinking thinking. Everybody needs a checkup from the neck up to eliminate stinking thinking. And this has become a deep issue in our culture because uh, largely we have built a culture that is out to protect children from all adversity. I mentioned at Southbrook a few weeks ago that I asked Jim Trussell, the former coach at Ohio State, when I was on a fundraiser with him, what is the number one thing you see an incoming freshman at Youngstown State? And he said, utterly incapable of dealing with stress. Why? It's because well-intentioned parents like me have, we, we raised our kids to protect them from adversity. Media outlets are filled with stories of Young people who want to hide from events and stories that remind them of adversity because they haven't been equipped. And they may identify the things that are happening around us right now as triggers of memories that fill them with fear and anxiety, and they are incapable of dealing with it because they haven't been given the tools. It's an interesting bit of information that came from medical and psychological investigators who have been doing ACE research, adverse childhood event research. And they investigated the negative effects of childhood trauma since the 1980s. And it began when a large insurance company decided to offer free weight loss programs to policyholders who wanted to lose weight and were physically, officially considered overweight. They offered the overweight members free gym membership free diet advice, free coaching, medication counseling. As part of the program, the company did an assessment of how much the members followed the program and how much weight they lost. Some of the participants dropped out after a period of time and they examined charts to see if anything stood out to alert as to what kind of people tended to drop out of the program. As they looked at the data from the dropout rates, they were struck by a huge surprise. This was an anomaly that was so counterintuitive, they couldn't believe it. The people who dropped out most frequently were the ones who were the best at losing weight. They checked and rechecked the data and still arrived at the same place. Those who were most successful dropped out most often. And this was a stunner. Why would the most successful people who were achieving success at losing weight drop out more than those who weren't losing weight? Well, for many years, doctors, nurses, counselors, friends have thought success in losing weight would reinforce and motivate people to keep losing weight. Well, one of the reasons the experts were stunned to come across came from, from what it meant for their expert prevention programs in the future. And the reality is they discovered that few programs to prevent negative habits actually ever work. And a lot of times it's because it's built on toughness. Uh, The very people like myself who tend to speak these things are speaking from a place of strength. At least we sound that way, even though that's not always the case. But we sound like people and we we tend to make ourselves sound like people and say, hey, we just pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Why can't the rest of you do that? And so that frames how we lead, it frames how we talk, and the experts that designed the weight loss programs dug more deeply into the actual medical charts of the group that had nothing to do with willpower. 
It had nothing to do with toughness. Insurance companies have permission to examine the entire life and family members involved, and they investigated the participants in this study's lives from birth to the time of the study and unlocked the mystery of why people who are actually losing weight dropped out of a weight loss program, especially before they actually should have. And they found that adverse childhood events had impacted some of those people to the point that weight gain was a source of protection, not worry. You see, they discovered that many people had been sexually abused. Obesity was a matter of safety. They investigated the types of adversity their members had experienced and the adversities that most impacted them later in life were the loss of loved ones, losing a parent to death, chronic illness, drug use, incarceration indicated they were more likely to suffer with a disease as an adult. The more losses experienced, the more likely they would have an illness. And the correlation between a high adversity loss score and later illness was very high. And the key was to unlock the reason that they were living in not just shock, but trauma and self-abuse. So shock can come from small incidents of neglect. Trauma can come from dramatic incidents of neglect. Abuse can come from chronic incidents of neglect. But to some extent, some of us have experienced a level of shock, a level of trauma, and a level of abuse. And we have to understand it. Why do I say all this? Here's some conclusions I want you to grasp today as you self-lead. First of all, remember the obvious. Adversity is normal and you need to expect it. It's not a sign that something is wrong with your life. I'll say this again. Every person who struggles with sadness, grief, and worry is not suffering from a mental illness. Does not necessarily need medication from a professional. Adversity is normal. And, and although this may seem obvious, we tend to think, oh no, something's wrong. I need to change my life. Something's wrong. I'm having adversity. No, it means you live in a world that is very challenging. A world of germs where you're going to get sick. Even if you take every precaution that you possibly can, you're going to get sick sometimes. And so remember that adversity is not a sign necessarily something's wrong with you. However, conclusion number two. Remember, our response slash reaction to adversity is framed by our past. And we have to be equipped with the tools for rational thinking. I'll give you an example. COVID has caused great stress in my body, but I understand why. When our church shut down, my life's work the last 30 years almost was taken away in many ways. Our, we, we lost our church. I hate to admit it, but I've realized how much my identity is still wrapped into the performance of our church. And now I didn't have one, essentially. I didn't see people. And that's framed by, for me, an identity that tried to save my family because of the trauma that was happening in my family growing up, not, not abuse, but trauma, then I, I took that on myself. And the way I was going to save my family was being a name of noble reputation. 
and my response to the adversity of COVID, I can understand it and I can frame it out of my past and into rational thinking. And that helps me. Third conclusion is this. No adversity has to be wasted if you have a growth mindset. If you see, for example, you know, for me, we've done the equivalent of we've lost 80% of our customers. In the past, if with a fixed mindset that, oh my gosh, I can't fail because it reveals too much about me. And I would try to run from it. I would try to anesthetize it by competing and winning in other ways. Now I can say, wait, wait a minute. This presents a challenge that I'm thoroughly equipped for. I've got years of experience. I've led through challenges before and I'm going to grow and I'm going to get stronger. And I just have to live the way Jesus said I have to live one day at a time. And if I can do that, all of the adversity I'm facing right now as a leader will be redeemed. I won't necessarily see the recovery of everything that I've had in the past, but what I will see is the redemption of everything that's happened for the future. Until next time on the Leadership Podcast, this is Charlie McMahon. Thanks for listening. Tune in every week as we continue learning and growing in faith, in life, and leadership. And if this has been helpful to you, subscribe and spread the word. And I will talk to you next week.